Alright, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and get started with our service this morning. And let's do so with a word of prayer. Amen? Father, we are just so thankful that you indeed are present in our lives. That you indeed love us. Love us more than we can imagine. And Lord, we thank you for that fellowship that you give to us. We thank you for the promise that you make all throughout Scripture that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we're the ones that sometimes leave you. And Lord, may we always come back to you and look to you in prayer, in study, and in reverence for who you are in our lives. Lord, may we always include you in everything that we're involved in. In the big things and the little things. May we always pay attention to how much you indeed want us to be successful when it comes to proclaiming your message, proclaiming your truth, sharing with others, being prayerful for those people who do not know you. We thank you, Lord, for being our advocate before the Father. We need it. We need you. We just want to give you praise and thanks. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as part of our continuing effort of a spiritual journey, and you may have noticed that some of my messages have been mentioning that, I'm going to share with you a period in my life when I had first exposure to life in the big city of Cleveland. That's where I grew up. I'm in Cleveland. I was in Cleveland. I worked at my uncle's florist shop for a year after graduating from high school and while I was going to Case Western Reserve University. And I applied for and got a job working at Burroughs Brothers at 419 Euclid Avenue in 1978. So we're going way back, back in the time. 1978. Now, after work, in order to get home in the afternoon, I had to make the walk from Euclid Avenue down to Public Square. And I had to do so because I had to catch the rapid transit train to go back to my house. I lived in the Lee Harvard area of Cleveland. I loved that walk in the afternoon because of the sights, the sounds, and the smell of freshly roasted cashews from the King Nut Company. For those of you who lived in Cleveland, everybody knows all about King Nut Company and the smells that take place when they were roasting cashews. It was like unbelievable. Well, every now and then, I would encounter the legendary street preacher who had a booming voice that moved people to consider the need for Jesus in their lives. In one specific encounter... I saw that he was ahead of me on Euclid Avenue, and admittedly, I wasn't very comfortable with him. It may have been his voice or his personality, I'm not sure. But when I got to where he was standing, he looked me in the eye and said, You need Jesus, young man! In a voice similar to his, because I was kind of getting ready for him and revved up, I responded, I have Jesus, sir! I think I was a little embarrassed for the intention that I had gotten because there were other people around us. You know, there's always somebody walking around down there. But I also knew that I had lied to him. I didn't have a clue as to what it meant to be 
needing Jesus or having Jesus. But I look back on that moment as one of the Holy Spirit's first words of communication to me about Jesus. From then on, my lie that day would continue to spiritually nudge me. I'd be thinking more about who Jesus was and why the preacher was so adamant that I needed him. I was 19 years old in 1978. Seems like eons ago. And I was looking everywhere, including the wrong places, for answers to questions about life. I thought I was a good person. But I learned over time that I was, in fact, a very common sinner. I recognized my flaws, and I could no longer rationalize through my sins or make excuses for them. You know, a lot of people do that, you know. Well, none of us are perfect. That's a rationalization. God had to show me that my primary focus needed to be on Jesus in humility with a heart of repentance and a need for forgiveness from Jesus. It was time for me to accept him as Lord of my life. And it took a few years after my one-on-one encounter with the street preacher, but I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior in June of 1986. I remember it just like it was yesterday. Amen. And yet, that was just the beginning. The Holy Spirit brought me to the feet of Jesus, and there was much more to come. Much more to come. I had to learn about how God runs his universe. I had to learn more about who Jesus was. I had to learn about his kingdom and the workings of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's fast forward to today. We're still learning about these things. Still learning about who Jesus is. And learning even more than that. Now this particular message is going to look closely at how God has revealed and presented himself in scripture and how we are to see him today. It's going to be a brief communication because you could literally talk about the Trinity Forever. I mean, a long time. It could, it could be a five-hour message. Well, I'm not going to do that to you today. Amen? It's cold outside. It's time to go home soon. But the Trinity is the message today. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Three different and distinct persons, and yet one God. Now, if you are looking for me to provide an explanation as to how God can be all of these things as stated, three persons and one God, then I'm sorry, but you're looking in the wrong direction. I can't explain it at all. I'm not going to try to explain it. Because in our minds and our thinking, three and one usually don't go together. But yet, that's exactly who God is. 
what you or I cannot explain does not mean that it can't be true. Just because we can't explain it doesn't mean that it isn't true. Because there are things in life that you can't explain. But the truth will be staring right at you. None of us have the minds of God to make such a contemplation. Turn your Bibles and electronic devices to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Some of you may know where I'm going. But we're going to look at verses 8, 9, and 11 in Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55. Verses 8, 9, and 11. This will be from the New Living Translation. Verse 8, Isaiah 55. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And then drop down to verse 11. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. Now, a small sidebar, too, when we're talking about three persons and one God, I want you to go, kind of adding this in today, but go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24. This is a passage that, again, when you read it and you look at it, we just got done talking about three persons and one God. And our understanding, as best we can understand it, is that all three persons work in unison, right? All three persons are working on behalf of the Godhead to communicate with the people that God loves. But take a look at this passage. Because this is one of those great mysteries that we run across in Scripture and we can't explain it. Verse 20, verse 36, Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. This is Jesus speaking about his coming. Now, concerning that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, Except the Father alone. Now you try to explain that. Try to explain what that means. How in the world can Jesus himself not know his day of return? He's telling the truth, remember? This is all truth that he's sharing. But what he is showing us here, of course, is an amazing concept. They all work in unison. They all work in character. But we're also seeing God's hierarchy. God the Father is the one who is in essentially involved. Jesus is obedient to the Father. Jesus does what the Father instructs to do. The Holy Spirit does not speak on His own, 
but speaks on behalf of, let's say, God the Father and Jesus. Three different persons. And no, I can't explain how Jesus would not know, and yet he is God too, but yet he is showing hierarchy. Hierarchy is very important. Hierarchy means structure. Hierarchy means there is a definite plan. That's what he wants in marriage. That's what he wants in relationships. There's a, a hierarchy has to take place. That's why when we talk about men being the head of the household, that's not just to bear down on women. It's because there's a natural structure that God is trying to show us. Even in how he is operating the entire universe. You need to see this. We're still learning about God because of this important truth. His ways are higher than our ways. We, we cannot begin to have a concept for how God thinks. How he does anything. It shows us that God is anything but ordinary. He's extraordinary. He is incredible. He's amazing. There's all kinds of words you can use. But at the end of the day, that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we worship. And he is still revealing himself to us. Amen? 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 He's still revealing himself to us. We're not done learning about who God is. We're not done learning about who Jesus is. We're not done learning about what the Holy Spirit does. Understanding the principles of the Trinity requires these two premises. Number one, God's word is true. It has to be truth. It has to be true for us to even move off of any kind of concept about understanding what God is doing. We have to believe what he says. It's true. The second thing we need to understand is faith. Faith is required to see God's truth, to see God's glory. Faith must be in the picture. That faith is in the risen Christ who sits at the right hand of a father, approved by God. We have to believe that Jesus is at the right hand of the father right now on our behalf. And he intercedes for us because Satan is our accuser. He has to do that for us. How important is this faith? It is foundational in recognizing the power and ability of Jesus Christ to be what? The complete atonement for our sins. We covered this very briefly in Sunday school this morning. But Jesus is the atonement for our sins. Jesus had to die on the cross for us. Jesus had to be raised so that we would experience eternal life. A dead Christ who's unraised means we're, we don't have anything going for us. In fact, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And this scripture here is going to tell you how hopeless would it be for us? Would we even be here in church if Christ died and was never raised? Because we understand that we have to honor Jesus because he died on the cross for us. But if he wasn't raised, what's the purpose of us being here? This passage is actually going to say something to that effect. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 16 through 19. Now this is the English Standard Version. 
Verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Now this may not make any sense for the average person. It's not meant to be confusing. But these words of scripture have a confounding effect if there is no discernment or understanding of truth. If truth is not involved in the process of understanding, you might as well just stop right there. And it's meaningless if there's no faith. Because without faith, we have nothing to hang our head on. The word has to be true. And we have to have faith. Do you know where the faith comes from? Do you see how your truth, the truth that God gives and your faith, have to come directly from God? It's a gift from God. And it's a good thing we have it because the word says without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is a necessary component of what we do, how we do it. How we worship Him. We have to start here to understand the role of the three persons in the Trinity. All three persons are equally important because all three of these persons emanate from one God who desires for every person within the sound of my voice to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and even beyond the sound of my voice. Amen. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to read through verses 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 1 through 7. We have to understand what the purpose. God is fulfilling his purpose, his will. His will is for all of us to be saved. And let's just look at it this way. He has a three-pronged approach to that. If you want to look at a way that God is trying to work to get what he's doing accomplished, all of the Godhead works in unison to accomplish this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, New Living Translation. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Stop right there first. Do you understand how important your role is in all of this? Your prayers matter. Your prayers for other people matter. Without prayer, how will you know what God is doing in your life and in anybody else's life? How would you know? You wouldn't know. You wouldn't have any idea. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Verse 2. Pray this way for all, for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. Amen to that. Pray for your leaders. Verse 3. This is good and what pleases God our Savior, God our Savior, 
It's pleasing to Jesus when you're praying. Who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ came to earth as a man to be our eternal sacrifice. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. This is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. And in verse 7, And I have been chosen as a preacher and apostle to teach the Gentiles this message about faith, faith, and truth. Faith and truth. I'm not exaggerating, just telling the truth. Amen. Amen. Now let's continue this journey and further discussion. Let's begin with the premise that God is true. Of course he's true. But we need to begin with a premise whenever we're making an argument about anything. The premise is that God is true. The words that we read in scripture are truth. We need to understand that. John Piper properly described the sum of God's word is truth. If it were a mathematical equation, the sum is truth. That's what John Piper said. He said that everything was made by God. Therefore, everything is sustained by God, determined by God, defined by God, including you. And therefore, you cannot know who you are without God. That is so true. You can't know anything about who you are without God revealing it to you. You know how people walk around dazed and confused at the time? Oh, wow, man, who drove today? Well, they're not really trying to figure out who they are. They're just kind of existing. But if you really want to know who you are, God reveals it to you. God shows you who you are. In our minds, believing in truth has to come from one who is wiser than you and me. Somebody who's pretty smart. Amen? We have to trust that. You know, it was really bad when you would go to school and sometimes you thought, man, I know more than this professor. I'm not really sure how this is going to work. But we understand that if we need to understand what truth is, we need to be relying upon the wisdom of God to understand that. He has to be rooted in credibility. Understanding truth and what it means to now allow faith to guide this principle, God has to reveal to us. God, through his word, according to Piper, has to authenticate himself and give his own word credibility. How credible is the word of God? Have you found any mistakes in scripture? Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter, written over some thousands of years, 1,500 years, whatever the number is. There's no change. There's nothing different about it. 
That's authentication. That's credibility. He enables us to believe in Him. Do you know how He does this? He does it through the promptings and teachings of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what gives us this information. He's the one that guides us with this information. It starts with God. He brings us to Him with Jesus. The Holy Spirit does the work to bring Jesus to our consciousness. He brings Jesus to our consciousness. He is the one that kept nudging you and telling you you need a Savior. The Spirit was doing that. So let's start with the truth in God's Word. Go to Psalm 119, verse 160. Psalm 119, verse 160. Boy, I wish I could give you all a cup of water because it is very dry in here, so I have total sympathy for you. Just hang in there. Hang in there. Psalm 119, verse 160. This is one of those verses that um, the Alliance also teaches as well, too, just to give you a a clue as to that. Uh, It's something that we have to internalize when we're learning this stuff. (laughs) Um, Psalm 119, verse 160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. There are some key words in this passage. All of God's word is true. And his judgments, his decisions, the things that he does, they endure forever. Because we serve an eternal God. John chapter 4 verse 24 says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth spirit and truth go to John 14 verse 6 now I'm just going to challenge you this is a memory verse that you guys should be remembering John 14 verse 6 new believers more seasoned believers all of you need to memorize this verse Because this verse is a verse that you'll be sharing with people when it comes time for you to share the good news, share the gospel. And this is to counter all those false teachers that believe there's multiple ways to go and uh, be with Jesus or be with the Lord or be in heaven. John 14, 6, English Standard Version. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, Notice how we emphasize those three points. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Plain and simple, there ain't no other way. There ain't no other way for a person to be in heaven except by acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord. Who died on the cross for us and was raised so that we would have eternity with Him. No other clever way to do it. Don't care what anybody else says. Because if this word is truth, let everybody else be a liar. Amen? Jesus also said something very similar. John chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. 
Now Jesus is actually speaking about himself. He's the living word. Amen. He's the living word. Now turn to John 16, 13, because let's look at the Holy Spirit here a little bit too. John 16, 13. Jesus gave preparatory messages for the disciples to explain what was going to happen after Jesus left. And they needed everything they can get. They really were kind of uh, confused about a lot of things that were taking place. But one thing we have to see is that Jesus keeps all of his promises. God keeps all of his promises. When he says something, it's going to happen. And so this is a promise that he's making. In John 16, verse 13, pardon me. When the spirit of truth comes, the spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Look very closely. For he will not speak on his own. But he will speak whatever he hears. So that's a person. Even though we call him the Holy Spirit. It's a third person of God. Who is merely relaying information given to him by who? The Father. He will also declare to you. What is to come? These verses cover all three persons. We'll call them personalities. I think that's a good way to reference these persons. They're personalities. There are three different personalities of the Godhead. Now some Christian churches go through the trouble to make sure they're providing insight as to their beliefs. Because some people want to look up, what does this church really do? What do we really get into? They'll put together statements of faith. Here's an example of a statement of faith. We believe the Bible is the infallible word of God, which was written by specially chosen men of God, as they were inspired and moved upon by the Holy Spirit. And then they'll reference a verse, 2 Timothy 3.16, which is the verse that talks about all 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 of God's word is inspired by God. And we believe that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit... Or some of them say Holy Ghost. That's old reference, old King James reference. Are three separate entities that make up the Godhead. All three are in complete agreement and yet they are three separate individuals. That's what most churches are going to teach. That, and they'll put that up there and they'll show that. So there's no three gods... It's one God, three different persons within, three different personalities. We see all three of these persons together in Scripture. Notice here how God regularly provides this example for the purpose of teaching us this truth. Let's let's take a look at Matthew chapter 3. There's different examples in Scripture, but this is the best one that I could come up with for our purposes today. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. This is when Jesus was just coming on the scene. 
and John the Baptist is interacting with him. It says, Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Verse 14, But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. This is the New Living Translation, by the way. So John agreed to baptize him. Now look at verse 16. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Jesus is witnessing this as well. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So we see all three in action in this passage. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now other versions of this passage in verse 15 refer to Jesus stating that we must fulfill all righteousness. Jesus said this because he was all about truth, he was all about being obedient to the Father, and he was all about righteousness before the Father. He was being obedient to the Father. Everything that he did was in obedience to the Father who sent him to earth as a man. Jesus is our best example as to how we are to fulfill his truth before others. We know that the Father was present in this passage because you heard his voice, how much he loved his Son. The Son of God, Jesus, was baptized as an example for others to see. The baptism was not just for his sake, but others needed to see how God was elevating him to ministry. That's what was taking place. It was for others to see. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove. What's the dove a symbol for? Peace. Spirit comes in peace. The Spirit comes to us in peace. This event in history shows the presence of all three persons of the Godhead as a lasting testimony for all to consider. It's a testimony for us. Why present this information to us if it wasn't to be a testimony for us? It's a teachable opportunity. We need to see all three persons working again together for what? God's glory. They're all in unison. Three co-eternal, co-existing persons of God, but only one God. We accept this in faith because of what his word declares. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, in the New King James Version says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. One God. As declared in different places too. Go to Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44, verses 6, and we'll look at verses 6 and 8. Isaiah 44, verses 6 and verse 8. Isaiah 
Remember, God's word is truth. God does not contradict himself. When he says that he has three persons operating as one God, we believe him in faith because that's all we got. Our human reasoning doesn't go, can't go beyond that. But look what it says in Isaiah 44, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Amen? Look at verse 8. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? Are you my witnesses? Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Who else said, I am the first and the last? Jesus did in the book of Revelation. He's speaking about himself. There's one God. Now let's take another turn here. Go to James chapter 2 verse 19. James 2.19. You better believe and understand something about God, the uncreated creator, the uncreated creator, the eternal God, who's always existed and always will exist, and all of those who he did create. And that includes the angels, and that includes Satan. And all the fallen angels, the demonic activity we talk about. Check this out. James chapter 2 verse 19. New Living Translation. You say you have faith for you believe that there is one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. You better believe the demons know who God is. What were the demons doing when Jesus was chasing those who were possessed out? They knew who Jesus was. They knew Jesus had the very control over their very existence. This leads us to the principle of faith in believing this truth. Our enemies know who God is. They know who he is. Even those who claim to be atheists are really more about worshiping themselves rather than just acknowledging that God exists. They know something's out there. You've got to understand something, but they have a, such a hardened heart, they would much rather believe in themselves rather than believe in Him. Nevertheless, there's going to come a time and a place that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Remember, everything that we do is about glorifying the Father. Everything. At the end of the day, throughout your life, everything that we do is about glorifying the Father. Now that passage was Philippians 2 verses 10 and 11 in the King James. But every 
knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's going to be after his second coming. This is going to be after all is said and done. That's going to be at the end. When all, that's all she wrote. That's what's going to happen. Anybody who's like stomping their fists or clenching their fists and stomping their feet saying, I will not follow God. I will not do it. Guess what? They're going to still acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you know why? Because his word says so. His word says so. We believe it. It's a prophetic statement, of course. It will not come to pass because it will, excuse me, it will come to pass. I don't know why I added a word not there. It's not even on my page. It will come to pass because we serve a Jesus that tells the truth and does not lie. That's where the not is. We serve a Jesus that tells the truth and does not lie. Go to Numbers 23. Numbers 23, verse 19. Numbers 23, verse 19. The more you get into this, the more you study this, I would hope that you would think, at the very least, that the life you live is not in vain. You are here for a reason and a purpose. And that reason and the purpose may be as simple as getting a spouse saved or getting or getting people in your family saved. It may be very simple, but your reason or purpose, so you're not limited, but you have to understand that God has a desire to see every person come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's his will. It doesn't mean it's going to happen that way, but as far as it be it for you, be obedient to the Father. Be obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Numbers 23, verse 19. New Living Translation. God is not a man, so he does not lie. What did I talk about at the beginning of this passage? I lied. Call it peer pressure. Whatever it is, I lied. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Amen. That's pretty important too. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Look out now. He carries his word through. Our path of righteousness is through none other than Jesus Christ. He was there in the beginning with God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Go to John chapter 1. Let's go and look at that as a reminder. John 1, verses 1 through 3. John 1, verses 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things were made through him and without him not, was not anything made that was made. So we're talking about, you notice in the other part of the passage, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. All three were present. All three personalities. 
one God. Here's more about the three persons throughout Scripture. Let's note the plural pronouns as we go. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Since we're talking about a creation, Genesis 1, verse 26. We need to understand something. When we look at Scripture, of course, we, we have the conversation about how Jesus spoke often in parables and metaphors, but he spoke truth the entire time. And he explained why he spoke the way he did. Because there were those who were going to choose to believe him, and there were those who were going to choose to not believe him. So the parables were confounding to him. The metaphors he used were confounding to them. But we understand truth because we have the Spirit. Genesis 1.26 Then God said, Let us, let us make a man in our image. Well, that's not referring to one person. That's referring to three persons. Us. Our image. After our likeness. Do you get it? Do you see it? He's telling us right in the beginning here. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Go to Isaiah 6 real quick. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Isaiah's call to ministry. Isaiah 6 verse 8. Isaiah 6 verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Us. Three persons. Then said, then I said, here I am, send me. It's very quick, very subtle, but it's there. Here's a reference by Peter as to the different roles of the persons within the Trinity. Please go to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. We're kind of flying along here. Sorry about that, but we're on time. Just letting you know. But we're going to look at a lot of verses to corroborate exactly what we're saying here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. First Peter chapter 1 verse 2 this is the English Standard Version according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood the blood had to be shed for us may grace and peace be multiplied to you he was showing essentially three different roles now, they're not exclusive roles by any means, but it gives us an idea of what? God's nature, God's character. All three have roles. All three have one purpose. To demonstrate his character to us and also to show us he's going to do what he says he's going to do. 
He's going to fulfill His Word. He has fulfilled a good amount of His Word already. Amen? He has done that. That moment in history when Jesus Christ came to earth, one of the most profound things that's ever happened on earth. But there's still more to come. Because there's more people to still be saved. There's more people still to be reached. There's more people who still need to hear the truth. And we're part of that. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Well, all three of them are God. It is true that God has shown himself to be these three persons and he has done so in a number of wonderful and mysterious ways. Do we not serve a mysterious, wonderful God? He is wonderful, but he is also very mysterious. And that's okay. I'm good with that. The most important character of God we got to remember though is that he does not change. If we have a God that changes, throw the whole thing away. It ain't going to work. Because when we start questioning a changing God, that means salvation changes, that means everything changes. Throw it out. It's not going to work. We serve a God that does not change. That's the other thing about His character we need to remember. Go to James 1, verse 17. A couple more to look at. James chapter 1, verse 17. Praise the Lord, we serve a God who does not change. His word does not change. His scripture says he doesn't change. We're going to look at that. James chapter 1 verse 17. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. A shifting shadow means if you go under a source of light and you walk, that shadow moves with you. He's showing you that he never changes. And one more, Hebrews 13, 8. Hebrews 13, verse 8. This is eternal. Hebrews 13, 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Praise the Lord. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus has never changed and never will change. And for this, may we always be thankful, grateful, and give Him Praise. We have a greater understanding of this Godhead, all working for the same purpose. And ultimately, that purpose is to glorify Himself. And that's fine. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for your teaching. We thank you for your teaching about the three persons.
We thank you, Lord, that you show yourself to us in these different ways for the purposes of teaching us, enriching us, helping us along day by day, Lord, that we can speak your truth to others. And Lord, you're to be glorified because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, thank you for the reminder in Scripture, even how the angels had wonder about us being created by you. And how you showed yourself to love us as you did. And how you continue to do. Your scripture says that you loved us so much you sent your son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for what he has done for us and what he continues to do. Lord, we just give you praise for who you are. May we always stop and praise you when it's called for, and sometimes even when it's not. Thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing, all that you continue to do in our lives. Bless everyone present. Bless them, Lord, with your presence each and every day. Go with them today and all day long, and even then some. Help them along to recognize your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, as we remember to pray for those who do not know you, Lord, may we just lift them up to you regularly and continually. You call for us to pray. Pray for those in need. Pray for intercession. Pray that they hear and see your goodness. We thank you, Lord. There's still more work to be done. There's still more for us to accomplish through your will. Thank you, Lord, for choosing us to be with you in this effort to reach others. We just give you praise and thanks for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.